Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to another episode of Making Bank. Today's guest goes by Siddhartha on Twitter and in Discord. He's been with Bankless Dow since its inception and quickly found a home in the Writers Guild. Siddhartha is currently the Writers Guild coordinator and the Bankless Dow newsletter team project coordinator. Welcome, Siddhartha. Welcome to Making Bank. Hey, Drost. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. I imagine most people know you from the Writers Guild or they've seen the writing that you've done across the publications within Bankless Dow. But maybe if we could give a little bit of background to folks that maybe haven't had the opportunity to work with you in that context. Sure. Yeah, it sounds great. So initially, I got into crypto back in 2020, kind of right after the COVID crash, you could say. Started buying some tokens on Coinbase and just getting some exposure. Subscribed to the Bankless HQ podcast later, probably like the summer of that year. And really just went down the rabbit hole of exploring crypto and learning and just kind of seeing what it was about. At that time, it was before the big rise in the fall of 2020. So it was still a little bit quiet, like right after the DeFi summer. For me, it was just, it was a very, it was a time of like curiosity and just kind of exploration. And then around January of 2021, David and Ryan started talking a lot on uh, their podcast about working in crypto, working in Web3, getting a job in DAOs. And so at the time, I was a pharmacist practicing in the front line of healthcare and experiencing the fatigue and the exhaustion that was COVID. And I started looking at what it looked like to contribute to DAOs, to try to find a job in Web3 and crypto. And then later that year in May, the Bankless DAO launched. And so it was kind of a perfect opportunity for me. I was ready and looking for something new. And Bankless DAO kind of just it manifested. There was a ton of excitement in the early days. I had been a longtime writer. I've had a blog for 10 years. And so writing was just kind of a natural place for me to gravitate to and to start contributing. You know, right at the launch of Bankless DAO, that first week, myself, Frog, a couple other people who've, who've since left Bankless DAO, we spun up a, the weekly roll-up that first Friday. It was really just kind of the, the natural progression of trying to find a way into working in this space. And then once I found an opportunity, I just went for it. This is from July, DAOs as Playgrounds for Growth and Development. Did you want to start with that or do you want to maybe dig in a little bit more into how your journey has evolved since your entry and then getting involved with Bankless DAO at Genesis and its growth and evolution? That's To me, that's an interesting topic too because you and I have both been here since the beginning and we've had a lot of new folks come in since then and the character has changed, some of the priorities have changed. And I just was curious what your take on that might be. Yeah, I think to me, the two, the piece that you're referencing that I wrote, DAOs as Playgrounds for Growth and Development, to me, that's really kind of a, in a sense, it's a mapping out of my own kind of journey in this space. One of the unique things that, about DAOs in, in general, but Bankless DAO in particular, is that 
you know, you really have the ability to come on to projects, to, to land in guilds and to start contributing. And that can be, it can mean different things to different people, right? So if you're really new and you're just, you're trying to like get a handle on Web3 and crypto, it can be as simple as just like taking meeting notes and just kind of listening and lurking and really learning for quite a while. Because until you're comfortable with the content that we're talking about, NFTs, DeFi protocols, all that kind of stuff, you're going to be hesitant to contribute. And for a lot of people, the initial part of kind of landing in the DAO is just learning. And for me, that was learning by doing. And when I kind of landed in the DAO at launch, it was natural for me to start writing, but I did not feel comfortable writing about crypto and about DeFi and NFTs and all that kind of stuff. I was a weekly contributor to the weekly rollup from the launch until about October, just that kind of regular cadence of contributing. And sometimes it was small contributions like editing, but sometimes it was, you know, writing an editorial. And just by consistently showing up and learning by doing, I was able to move into a space where I could act with more confidence and more willingness to continue to explore beyond my comfort zone. And I think that's the unique thing that DAOs and, and Web3 kind of offer people is we have these kind of natural talents and skills that we carry from our professional kind of web two traditional job or from our education, things like that. But working in DAOs gives, gives us a unique opportunity to explore the edges of our comfort zone and to continue to grow and develop and take on roles and tasks and, and projects that we normally wouldn't conceive of as things we can do, right? But we can grow into those things. My journey in DAOs, in Bankless DAO in particular, has been one of continuing to explore how can I get better? What do I need to learn? How can I develop so that I can do these other things that are really interesting and, and I'm curious about? So really, that's really been my journey. And this article that you're referencing, DAOs as Playgrounds for Growth and Development, is just trying to describe that and make it more apparent for others. It's interesting. You kind of refer to it as a role-playing game. I like that you use the term exploring the edges of your comfort zone. Because I think it's just human nature to get into routines and get into these comfortable spaces where you don't have to think and you go through the day in automatic mode. And I think it's like sleepwalking. I don't know if it's a metaphor or an analogy, but um, the zombie movies, you're just kind of going through life as a zombie being controlled by some external force. Yeah. <laughs> I First of all, I love that because I don't think it relates to movies at all. I think it relates to most people's waking life, right? Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are going through life as zombies. Yeah. I mean, for, yeah, for me personally, I was, you could call successful healthcare provider. I had a team of people working with me, but I didn't want to go to work on Monday. I hated waking up at uh, 6.30 to have to hustle off to work to do the same thing that I was doing every single day for the past 10 years. I think the interesting thing about DAOs is that we're not trying to fill a job description like you apply to a job and there's this description of the role that you're going to fill we're going to take you as this person with these talents and potential and then we're going to put it into this container and we're going to say that's your job and in DAOs, we actually like you talked about this role playing in DAOs, it's the opposite right here are the needs like the organization has these needs and you're going to look at your capacity your potential and you're going to define your role define how you can contribute, what are your responsibilities, what are you willing to commit to? And really that kind of autonomy and self-direction is a huge difference between working in a regular job and working in Web3.
When I wrote this piece about role-playing, it's really this idea of when we're working in DAOs, we're taking on roles that we are interested in, but then we're also giving them up, right? We're taking on a role, exploring what it means to embody that role, to meet those responsibilities, to carry out those tasks. And then there might come a time where we outgrow that role and we need to move on to something else. Or there might come a time when we're just like not interested in that role anymore. And we have the ability to role play our way into the life that we're imagining that we can live. And the flexibility and the dynamic nature of DAOs make that possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea that it's a choose your own adventure. It really is. You know, if you get, I've gone through a number of projects and stuff at Bankless Down. Obviously, there are places in my life, but in this area specifically, working air quotes decentralized, never having met people in person. I haven't been to Permissionless or any of the other in person events yet. But working in this environment, we talk about the imposter syndrome, and you talk about working at the edges of your comfort zone. I think you and I came in maybe jumping in where we did feel some comfort. I joined AV because I like to mess around with video projects and all those fun toys. And I thought it'd be a good place to kind of hang out with people that are into that stuff. Maybe I'd learn something. And you joined Writers Guild. And I think other people come in a little differently. Maybe they jump into an area that they're interested in but don't know anything about. And then lurk for a while and don't really feel maybe comfortable speaking up because I don't know anything yet. Maybe you don't want to sound stupid asking a dumb question. You may jump into a project that doesn't resonate with you or, or you just don't vibe with a team for whatever reason. And, and that's okay. It's not like you took this job that you committed to for three to five years, you've got an employment contract or whatever, and now you're stuck there and you have to pay them back or something if you leave yeah. early. I mean, yeah. There's so many ways that people get handcuffed into things that they didn't really sign up for. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really great way to test the waters, try out your skills, And again, like you said, I mentioned it a few times because I love this phrase, exploring the edges of your comfort zone. And then jump into these others as you become more comfortable. And then that's been my journey. Yeah. I want to talk a minute about imposter syndrome because I think this is really important. Because actually the two are connected, imposter syndrome and exploring the edges of your comfort zone. I have a daughter, I'm a father, and she, so she's an eight-year-old. And one one of the curious things about kids is that if you take them to the playground, they have places that they always, the monkey bars, the swings, maybe this climbing thing. But then there's also parts of the playground that are unexplored, right? And one of the things my daughter is recently exploring, hasn't quite mastered yet, is this climbing wall at the playground. And a number of times she's gone over there, she'll go up about halfway. It's a pretty tall wall. It goes, it's like a, maybe like a 10 or 12 foot wall that she's trying to climb. And there's a platform on top, which then goes to a slide in this other pole and things to continue to explore, right? But she can only get about halfway up. And it's, it's a pretty, I've done it. It's a pretty, it's not an easy wall to climb, but it's not that difficult either. But she is just exploring that, right? She's exploring the edges of her comfort zone. For her, I think the comfort zone is really the height of the wall, not so much the difficulty of the task, but it's the height of the wall that is holding her back. But she is exploring the edges of that comfort zone, right? And in our workplace, we're doing the same sort of thing, right? We're doing tasks, we're working on projects that might be right at the edge of our comfort zone, but sometimes there's something that's just beyond that comfort zone that we're not quite sure if we're ready for, right? And that's where this imposter syndrome comes in because the imposter syndrome, part of the implicit thing about the imposter syndrome is that you are actually doing something that makes you feel like an imposter, right? So you're actually 
acting outside of your comfort zone and that's making you uncomfortable. And you know what the good news is? That's a good thing, actually. Like you're outside of your comfort zone. You're engaging in maybe it's relationships that you're not used to having. For me, like being on a podcast, a little bit outside my comfort zone. Haven't done this before. I think a lot of people have this negative connotation about it. Oh, I'm not good enough. They get stuck in their own feelings. It's really what's happening. They're stuck about their uncertainty, their fear, their, they might fail, all these kind of internal things that are happening without realizing that what they're actually doing is growing. So yeah, I, I really see imposter syndrome and this kind of idea of exploring our the edges of our comfort zone is the same. They're connected. Yeah, you've got a really great graphic in the middle of that article, and it differentiates between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And a growth mindset being freedom and a fixed mindset being very limiting. And I'd like to actually address the fixed mindset first and just list these things. Fixed mindset avoids challenges, ignores feedback, threatened by others' success, desires to look smart, gives up easily, and fixed abilities. That's in contrast to the growth mindset. Perseveres in the face of failures. Effort is required to build new skills finds inspiration in others' success, accepts criticism, desires to learn, and builds abilities. So I think those are some pretty clear differentiators between the idea of limiting thinking versus free thinking. Yeah, this graphic, part of the idea behind this article that we're talking about is if you're on this journey, this kind of Web3 DAO journey, where you are trying to figure out how you fit into the picture, right? Like we talk about the bankless mission, the bankless movement. That's a collective movement towards crypto values, Web3 adoption, things like that, right? That's a collective movement. But within that, there's a personal journey that we're all on. And one of the things that I'm still trying to figure out the best way to instill this is your mindset matters, right? And so when you come into the DAO with a fixed mindset, like you're probably not going to do very well right? You're just, it's going to be hard for you to find your place. It's going to be hard for you to come in. And like, if you're used to being the smartest guy or the smartest girl in the room, but you're a regular job, but then you come into this space and you feel like you're not the best one, the brightest one, the one with the best ideas, that's going to be a really challenging thing for you to, to deal with. And this idea of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, it's just a shift. And the fixed mindset is really all about security, right? I want to feel safe. I want to feel secure. I don't want to feel threatened and I don't want to feel vulnerable, right? And a growth mindset is all about openness and freedom and curiosity and exploration. And part of this is tied into my experience as the Writers Guild coordinator, broad overview. Guilds are perceived as town centers that focus on kind of three, three core principles or pillars. That's onboarding, education, and then community. And one of the things we noticed in the Writers Guild is that we have a lot of contributors coming in every season. Even in the bear market, we've had a lot of new contributors, but we don't have a lot of active contributors. So one of the things that we started up to address this was this writer's cohort that you're participating in. We've actually had a lot of success. This is our second cohort. But the idea behind this cohort is how can we get people working together and moving together and contributing together on a similar type activity so that they can try to get into this more kind of growth mindset of doing things that are uncomfortable, doing things that 
they don't necessarily think that they're going to succeed at. So shifting that mindset from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, that's a huge challenge. And I, I don't know if the cohort is the solution. I think it's one part of the puzzle. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge challenge in DAOs. I mean, it's a huge challenge in any job, but DAOs in particular, you really need a growth mindset to thrive and succeed. Yeah, I think one of the things that works with the writer's cohort is it is a focused group and you have a particular outcome that you need to deliver on a schedule and it forces discipline. You talk about some of these ways to get out of the fixed mindset. And one of them is feedback and criticism and not just being able to accept it, but being able to deliver it in a way that is helpful and caring. You learn things about how you react or respond. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there between expanding skills that you already had or developing those you didn't know you had, figuring out new ways of working, becoming passionate about something that wasn't even on your radar. That's the other thing that's really exciting to me. The things I'm involved in now, the things I'm looking at, the things I'm researching, were not even in my vocabulary two years ago. Mm -hmm. That's exciting to me. I'm curious, what is your, what's been your experience with, because you said you came from a, like an AV background, right? No, it's just a hobby. Oh, no. it's just a hobby. Okay. No, I'm yeah, just an I'm, AV nerd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nerd I love okay. cameras and my dad was a photographer and a lot of, very mechanical, loved it. No, that was just a hobby. My background is actually in, in the personal computer industry. I worked for a major software company. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm curious what your experience has been in the AV Guild, because like I said earlier, I had been blogging for 10 years before Bankless DAO. So I was used to writing, but as a blogger, like you're producing your own work and then you're publishing, right? There's no kind of editing process. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed actually with working in the Writers Guild, working on the newsletter team, is this process of working with an editor. It's funny, the first time I submitted an editorial this is the summer of last year, and Frank America edited it. <laughs> I remember distinctly. Frank can be he can be aggressive with the red pen. I submitted this editorial and Frank edited it, and it was like I was like deflated because there were so many red lines, so many comments, so many punctuation things. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm not a good writer. That was my initial response, was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm terrible at this. But then you go through the editing process and your work gets better. And that's been something that's been super helpful is like Yes, I have these skills. Yes, I can contribute in a certain way. But actually working with others makes your work better. And I'm not sure if AV, do you guys have that type of collaboration where like other people are working? I want to editorialize on editorial. (laughs) I think editorial is even more important in audiovisual work. Mm -hmm. It's extremely time consuming because you're going to waste not just an hour or two. You're going to waste days. And you're going to redo everything if you don't have a plan up front and make things tight. Yeah. And so part of our challenge, I think, is communicating that and then helping people to improve their skills in a variety of areas. So just like with writing, you get great feedback on how you can make it better the next time. Yeah. And I think we're finally getting to that point. We had a couple of false starts, just like everywhere in DAOs, you have contributor alignment. Maybe the incentives aren't there. Maybe things move too slow. Maybe the focus shifts. And then just like you were saying, there are so many things you can explore, so many paths you can go down. One of the things I think we all need to acknowledge and maybe do better at is embracing failure, I think, more, actually. Like you talked about going down a rabbit hole and the opportunity cost of 
doing this work and spending this time and this attention, this energy, working on this thing, and then realizing either I don't want to do this or it's just not what I thought it was going to be. But coming back to this idea of role-playing and exploring working in DAOs and like project-based learning, part of that means being willing to acknowledge like when the experiment has failed, right? And then you put it aside, it's a sunk cost, like those, that time, that energy, it's already gone, right? You've already spent it on that thing. And so when you realize something isn't working or that you don't want to continue doing a role that you're working on, the best decision is really just to accept what you've learned, like that has taught you something. You've gotten something out of this project. Maybe you can fork it into something else that's going to, you know, might work a little bit better. But to keep carrying on down this path, I think we have a tendency to do that a little bit too much for some projects and even for some roles that we take. Yeah. We try to perpetuate instead of like, maybe we can somehow work our way into the idea in our heads when the better choice might be just to say, okay, this is a failed experiment and we need to try something else. Yeah, exactly. I think there's an inertia around that fear of jumping into something that you think you can't get out of. Mm-hmm. And so you never start it. Yep. And I think this space, it's a great way to experiment. You jump into something and you're like, this topic's either too complex for me or it really doesn't align with what I care about. And for me, this has been kind of a, a bigger unlock recently. You're throwing all this stuff against the wall and then you see where it all lands. You got to lay it all out there make your desk messy and see where everything falls out. And you start to collect groups of ideas or common attributes, right? Yeah. And building your own, and I'm stealing some other great terminology, a personal network stack or a personal social stack. I'm stealing, I think, one of those from Solthorn. And I think a lot of people come in thinking, you know, it's an asymmetric bet on finance. And, and that's, that's typically what people think of when they hear about crypto. But yeah. when you come in and you start looking at all of the other use cases, and then it's not just about money. If we were to do a poll as to what you cared about when you came in or what you thought you'd be exploring and doing when you came in and what your priorities would be versus what they ended up being a year later yeah, would be really interesting. It's funny. In the Writers Guild right now, the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about, we're exploring the idea of making a guide to going bankless from bankless now. Part of that was exploring where do people get started on their bankless journey, right? What are the common kind of starting points for going bankless or joining this bankless movement? And for a lot of people, it is buying crypto, right? For me, that's where it started. For a lot of people, it, it starts with buying crypto, exploring this kind of financial aspect. There were a lot of examples of people who started with curiosity and this idea of going down the rabbit hole before they ended up buying crypto. For a lot of people, it was buying crypto or just this curiosity of the technology, the, the smart contracts, this idea of mission-aligned communities, things like that. And that. Those are the predominant ones. Yeah, yeah. And then you start to learn about other concepts like positive sum games, positive yeah. externalities, regenerative <clears throat> economics, what is money, <laughs> all these things that you really may not have thought about before. Yeah, I probably haven't thought of that before. <laughs> At all. But honestly, once you start thinking about those things, it's really hard to get out of your head. Once you start seeing the potential of this space to like build better systems, solve some of like the huge problems that we have that seem to be like intractable problems in our society, it seems like there's this aspiration for using this technology and these tools and this tech for, you know, progressive optimistic future, which is once you go down that rabbit hole, it's hard to go back. 
It is, yeah. Once you start aligning with the values of the system, and you know, once you start like really understanding decentralization and self-custody and this idea of a permissionless and inclusive community, then the teams maybe don't make as much sense once you start identifying with the values because what you're really trying to do is promote and advocate for crypto values and how those can make a positive impact in our society. And if you're a values, yeah, you could be a fundamentalist type perspective where you still have this like hardcore ETH maxi because you think the Ethereum network is like the best example of crypto values. So there might still be some fundamentalist tendencies among people. But I think for the most part, when you see crypto values as like the priority, then any kind of crypto adoption, crypto tools, it's going to be like something that you're supporting and trying to help adoption. Yeah. Now to our core audience here, crypto values makes perfect sense, but to somebody coming in from the outside that they still have this negative connotation mm -hmm. in popular media and they go, well, what, uh, crypto values, isn't that an oxymoron? Isn't that like jumbo yeah. shrimp? And I don't know if you want to segue into this now, but it brings me to your other related piece, which is finding freedom in agency and DAOs. And this idea that governance is everyone's yeah. responsibility. And so when you get into DAOs and you're part of a community that you opted into and that you have a vested interest in stating your opinion in a, actually a fairly small community that you can affect significant change, people yeah. still don't vote. That's a core issue. Yeah, to me, this comes back to those kind of three pillars of guilds, onboarding, education, and community. And I think one of the things that we probably need to do better is when we're onboarding people, we need to have some kind of governance primer, right? People aren't used to making decisions in the organizations in which they work and contribute. And having onboarding include governance and like basic, just basic ways to get involved in governance. It could be like taking a poll or, you know, leaving comment on the forums, right? You know, you don't need to like create a proposal. You can just read the proposals. Um, you know, so onboarding is huge. Having a system for continuous development and training. If you've never created a proposal before, how do you create a proposal, right? I'm willing to bet if you'd ask most people in the DAO how to create a proposal, they would say, I don't really know how to create a proposal. I would have to just copy and paste someone else's proposal and try to make it fit my idea. And so having some kind of courses or having some kind of governance education platform or something that we can be training people continuously and, and helping them level up their skills, I think that's something we also need to think about. And we're seeing experimentation with reputation tokens platforms that are being developed so that people can see that you've contributed in multiple DAOs, the kind of work you've done, the teams you've worked with, uh, and building this on-chain resume. I think we're just starting to see that. And then where we're going with Social Graph, with Lens Protocol and other yeah. things, pretty exciting stuff. And we're defining these things and we're helping to communicate what that means. Imagine somebody coming into this right now that hasn't been immersed in it at all. Just the things that have come out in the last few months between premium PO apps, uh, reputation, tokens, decentralized bounty, things like Dwork and Wonderverse. I mean, these things weren't even around when we joined. We're all learning this. You know, this is still experimental technology, which we tend to not talk about enough. Yeah, I'm not a degen by any means. HQ puts out all this content on ways to get yield and stuff. And I, there are a lot of opportunities for that. It's just not my kind of forte. I would rather explore some of these other tools like you're talking about, digital identity, 
Gitcoin has their whole verifying personhood for minimizing like civil resistance and things. And like the interesting thing I think about working on those type of tools is that we've already seen how there might be airdrops in the future based on Gitcoin passport holders or something, right? Or we've seen like Gnosis Safe is coming out with their safe token drop to all the Gnosis safes that have been produced. And so we've seen again and again that participation and just exploring using certain tools like optimism, for instance, right? How that can be potentially incentivized through tokens in the future. I think that's kind of a unique aspect of crypto is that you you talked about lens protocol, exploring lens protocol, how to use it, how to claim your, I don't even know what it's called, lens token, lens, what is it called? Your handles, your lens profile. Yeah, your handle or whatever. But we don't know what that's going to open up in the future. And I think part of being in this space is accepting the fact that you're always going to be learning new tools, new things. And that's just kind of part of what we're here to do. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, if they don't like that stuff, you're going to have a hard time here. Yeah, yeah. At least at this stage. You know, you look at that adoption curve, and we still are really early adopter, and you look at other things, just, you know, in your own life, what are those things that maybe you caught on to a little bit earlier than than somebody else, and everybody wondered what this crazy person was doing, and then five years later, you're the genius, right? (laughs) Yeah, the early adopter curve. Yeah, and then people start coming to you and like, hey, what's this all about? And then you can give them the TLDR on the top line things they need to be thinking about, pointing to some great content out of Bankless Publishing, to what we call normies that aren't immersed in this, and they really couldn't care less about all the inner workings. They want to know what's the bottom line. How does this help me? How does this help yeah. society? Yeah, they, what's, how it's relevant to their, to their life. Right, how is it relevant? And if they're not interested in it, in traditional finance, they're not going to come into crypto and start playing with DeFi protocols. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do it. Talk about the things they care about. And so what do people care about? They care about their communities. They care about culture. They care about you know various causes. Well, enter Gitcoin. Mm-hmm. So many causes. And I think if more people were aware of the direct ability to influence things they care about that are not controlled by some organization with potentially competing goals, that this could be a really huge unlock. So maybe a person's entry might even be Gitcoin. Yeah. You know, wanting to donate to these social good or regenerative economic programs. Yeah, I think impact DAOs are going to be a huge unlock for people entering the Web3 space, because we've already seen this with things like Ukraine DAO, Constitution DAO. There's a lot of impact type orgs that are going to spin up in the next five years, because when a situation presents itself, it's much easier to mobilize a community and direct resources and attention and energy using the tools that we have available in Web3 and, and DAOs to do that than to go like a traditional nonprofit route. And so I really think nonprofits are really going to transform in the near future just to meet some of these pressing problems because we already have activists, right? People who are passionate about solving problems, climate, environmental activists, political activists, food-based activists. And when they realize the potential that DAOs have in, you know, all of a sudden giving them like a voice, right? Like they have an opportunity to actually shape the narrative and all these other things that aren't available in the traditional nonprofit world. I think that's going to be a huge lever that we can use to to get these people onboarded, in a sense, to crypto values and working in DAOs. 
I thought of a couple of things while you were talking. I have your article up here about reclaiming your power and going from lurker to contributor to leader. And the other thing that just occurred to me is that I think part of the mental health crisis, and I mentioned this in the other episode, part of the mental health crisis I think we have is that mm -hmm. people feel powerless. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. And this is a very powerful way to reclaim mm -hmm. agency, to have an impact in a space where it's not so crowded, quite frankly. I mean, we talk about this being relative to the total market and all that, a pretty small industry. And to me, that's a benefit right now because we're still working on the tooling. We're still working on the user experience. We're still trying to figure out what the successful things are going to be. Yes, there are going to be some failed projects, whatever, whether the smart contract gets exploited or it's just a bad incentive model. These things are being iterated as we speak. If you want to be energized and you're not about work and being passionate about something, a person not in crypto, not in Web3, if they will look at a couple of these DAO directories, list of DAOs, there's others, look and see if any of these resonate with you and start to explore them following people that resonate and that, that help you expand your thinking and as opposed to you know starting with the wallet and starting yeah. by buying some coins and doing all of that to me that may not be actually the best way to start yeah I, think, I would say for most causes that you might care about whether it's environmental i mean there's a number of projects i can think of that are environmental related tokenizing carbon credits and things like that i've seen in gitcoin like i've seen food-based projects where they're trying to incentivize production of certain types of food i mean basically any type of cause or mission that you might identify with there's a project out there working on solving and i think for people who do feel powerless or feel overwhelmed or have a loss of agency because it seems like the problems are too big to solve and like the current systems are like too inadequate to actually solve them so there's just this sense of resignation but if you look at some of the DAOs some of the work that DAOs are doing on solving those problems like you're going to find a way that you contribute and it probably doesn't start with getting a wallet or buying a token or an NFT like it probably starts with hey we need people to market this initiative or we need people to write about create content, like create a podcast, right? All <laughs> stuff that doesn't require any kind of Web3 crypto tools necessarily, but it's the way that we work together in Web3 that is really going to solve these problems. And actually, just, just a quick note, yeah. I like, I want to rephrase. I think we always talk about coordination failures. I think we need to start talking about coordination failures in much more simple language. Because when the general public hears of coordination failures, like, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense to them, right? But the way that we work together makes sense to everyone. And so I'm going to put my stamp down <laughs> to, to rebrand coordination failures as the way that we work together. Yeah. I think we all have examples of how the way we work together fails, uh, even in the most local, the most personal level. Even if you're just talking about a couple, if they're not communicating, if your calendars don't mesh well, if you're async, <laughs> yeah. you're not surfacing those issues and putting them to bed before they be, become a crisis. Is it Dunbar that's the 150 number? I think it's 150, yeah. Dunbar's number, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Dunbar number. Which is the number of, in your social circle, you get above that and suddenly thing, communication starts to break down. Mm -hmm. I would argue that communication starts to break down way before that. Oh yeah. I would say for most people, yeah. And so I think the way we communicate is actually 
a big piece of this. It, it, it speaks to governance. It speaks to acceptance and inclusion in a community. It speaks to lurking versus contributing versus leading. Yes, you can watch and learn on the sidelines if you want. That's okay. Totally cool. Contribute when you're ready. Join in the dance. And when you feel like you want to step out and maybe you feel like you've learned something, you can help and offer leadership in some way, step out on that empty dance floor and take a chance. And I'm yep. stealing your words. <laughs> no, that is, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, you did say it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's why we're here. That's why I'm here, honestly. And I think the more that we can encourage people to take control of their agency and their autonomy and to reclaim their power, their sense of purpose, and then to share their gifts, right? That's what we're here to do is we're here to share what we can do, what we have to share in the space. And together we can build something that's better. Well, that's a great note to end on. Siddhartha, it's been great today. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap? Call to action, feel free to promo the Writers Guild if you want. I would say if you're interested in joining DAO, come check out Bankless DAO. It's a great place to get started on your Web3 DAO journey. You don't need to be a crypto expert by any means. And yeah, get plugged in, check out areas that pick your interest. So it might be design, it might be AV, it might be the Writers Guild. And the best thing is just to attend meetings, get to know people, share a little bit of your story and raise your hand, right? If you're interested in writing, I would encourage you to join our writers cohort. This is a four-week writing cohort that we publish 1,000 word articles every week for four weeks. So it's a great way to start shipping work and getting used to like putting your work out there in the world where it can be interacted with. Check out the Writer's Cohort and yeah, join it down. Fantastic. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. This has been Making Bank, the production of Bankless Now. If you'd like to learn more about Bankless Now, please visit bankless.community on the web for more information and how to get started. And of course, if you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcast platform.